everybody. Welcome to Parks Podcast. My name is Austin Parkinson, and we just finished up episode seven and eight from The Last Dance, and uh, a lot of intensity to this one. Joined by my good friend Dan Beret, the assistant coach at Jacksonville. And again, you know, we'll start off just like we did last week with the uh, themes from this week's episodes. And you know, I'll let you go first again. Where do you want to start this week? Well, coach, good to be with you. Um, you know, this thing has flown by. I feel like it was it was yesterday where we were we were talking about episodes one, one and two. Uh, really enjoyed tonight. I don't know that it's it's the favorite, but it it, it may end up being being so. I, I thought the one one of the themes again. It was kind of Michael the teammate is what I thought. Um, you know, you had a little bit of it in episode. Uh, I guess it'd be seven, and then more of it in episode eight. You know, I really like the end of episode seven. Was probably one of my favorite parts of the entire series. You had shot me the text. You know, MJ getting emotional. I really liked him talking about leadership. Uh, I wasn't going to ask them to do anything that I wasn't going to do myself, you know, leading, leading from the front uh, really enjoyed that. And then they came back to it a little bit with the Steve Kerr part. I didn't know where they were going to go with the Kerr thing. I've heard him tell that story, uh, you know, through one of the ESPN classic things that I've seen. And I think it was noted before the series started, Hey, they're, they're going to go into him as a teammate a little bit and they don't have the footage of the, of the, you know, the fight with Kerr. Uh, but I did appreciate how in depth they went basically a back and forth discussion uh, between, between Kerr and, and Michael, uh, you know, talking to the director there. Well, besides the part that you mentioned in regards to his intensity and, and kind of the leadership factor, I thought, you know, it was cool that they started with the first episode um, and then finished with the last episode of they started with his father and then they ended with his father and a lot of the emotion in between there. And so, you know, what it was like for him to lose his father and then what it was like winning that championship the first time, you know, that his dad wasn't there. The other thing uh, that stood out to me was the, uh, you know, and we've heard it throughout you know each week, but I thought this week it highlighted it quite a bit was the Jordan uh, slights. Um, and so, you know, I was going to ask you, what was your favorite slight from, uh, from this week's episodes? Well, you know, I, I the, the, you know, a couple things that, 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 that I took number one, the, the, the BJ Armstrong stuff I thought was great. Um, where he, he kind of came, came back at him. I mean, you know, I don't know if you, if, if this is what you're referring to with your slights, but you know, BJ, you know, he, he probably knows better than that. And I didn't remember him hitting that shot. Um, you know, I was still pretty young at the, at, at the time of that series. Um, but, but it just, it was just odd to me that, that he would, he would kind of wake the beast. Uh, and then, and then the Michael uh, making up the, the nice game, Mike uh, with, with the game game against the wizards where they had those back to backs. Yeah. The LeBradford Smith story I'd heard. I didn't know what the story was, but uh, yeah, you know, love that. You know, I took away, the, the BJ Armstrong surprised me just because you know he was just an okay player. I mean he was solid. Right. You know what I mean? But it wasn't right. uh it wasn't the kind of player that you know, he hits that game winner. It's not like he was going to come back with 24, 25. In fact, he only came back with two. Uh, right. But, this is a reserve. Yeah. Uh, let's keep, keep that in mind. Now, BJ's one of my, my favorite bulls. Yeah, but, but still, absolutely. Let's, let's not get carried away. I also thought Jordan looked like a, uh, somewhere between a James Bond uh, character and a, uh, you know, like one of those like villains sitting in the locker room where Harp was amping him up and he's smoking his cigar and he's hitting that bat. Like you just know what's coming down the pipe. And, you know, the interview with Glenn Rice, Glenn Rice knew immediately what was going down, uh, you know, in that Charlotte series. But, um, you know, just the way that he used his motivations, um, you know, the uh, Sonics at the very end, you know, George Carl walking past his, you know, his table, which I do find. What are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? (laughs) Well, and I find it ironic because, you know, that Carolina coaching. Right. And MJ mentioned that. Yeah. Connected to coach Smith was always, you know, the thing. And, uh, 
knowing, I mean, this is not, you know, this is, this is the second, second round of the three peats. I mean, he knows how MJ uses things and he would have been very familiar because they played golf together and, yeah. uh, and still, you know, chose to ignore him, but just those slights. And I also get a little, uh, you know, laugh from watching, uh, Ahmad Rashad, you know, cause he got to see behind the scenes on all of these and him just shaking his head. Like, you know, the wizards, they played the one night, then they play him the second night back to back. And, you know, he gets 36 in the first half and, you know, just roast the, the Bradford guy. So yeah, I, I thought the slights were, were, you know, really, you know, really stood out to me. Um, I, w- I want to talk to you about, when he left the game the first time around you, know, we covered last week um, how we discussed the media being an impact, you know, on that focusing on his gambling and the pressures of, you know, winning three in a row and all that. But then he loses his dad tragically. And I wanted to, you know, see what were your thoughts on that? And then, you know, from you, I know how close you are with your dad and how close I am with my dad and just that bond in sports and how, you know, if we were to lose that, how, how shook up we would be and kind of what, you know, what would things look like in the future? Yeah, it, it would be, it, it would be very difficult. You know, both, both of us are in a situation where, uh, as you mentioned, our, our dads are still very much a part of our lives. And uh, I know how your dad is and, and mine's the same way that they're extremely invested in our coaching careers. Uh, the, the way that it sounds like uh, Michael kind of had with, with his dad and he, Michael kind of alluded to it. He, he, you know, his, his folks were at about every game. Uh, you know, they, they were, he would always look up and, and say he saw them there. Uh, so to, to, to put that in perspective is, is kind of difficult just because you, you don't know what it would be like. And I wonder how early Michael and his dad were having baseball conversations. Did it happen in the late 80s? You know, when did this get into his mind? It was it after he won his first championship uh, that, hey, I'm going to legitimately consider uh, trying to play another professional sport that I haven't played since I was 17 years old. Uh, and you know, you and I know this and, and any Jordan fan does that the, the amount of love that that family had for the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've all seen those, that little league picture with the Parker across the chest and in that red pinstripe uniform, uh, which, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, that, that he's showing the love uh, to baseball and it's getting it's it's right uh, in, in the documentary. Well, it is mentioned that you know, the one reporter says that a year earlier after they'd won their second championship right. uh, that they had had the conversation. And so you knew, you know, him. Right. And it was it was Larry had never won three magic had never won three in a row. And that's that's the only motivation. Yeah. And they had the Olympics as well. But, you know, I think, you know, you and I were on the same staff um, together uh, and uh, that's kind of where our friendship began. And I remember your dad flying into, you know, games in, in South Dakota or, you know, wherever we were road warrior, road yeah. warrior supporting <laughs> you. And my dad's done the same thing. And, you know, I'm sure for you, you call your dad after practices or big games and, uh, you know, have those moments. And so to be at that elite level that Jordan was at, um, and then their closeness and their connection, you know, the retiring, uh, I think now in hindsight is not a surprise, you know, at all. Um, then the next part is, uh, the retirement itself. Uh, you know, I don't know if you remember where you were that day, but I mean, you could see it, yeah. uh, what it reminded me of, not, not obviously the negative side of it, but if you remember the uh, OJ trial and how people were glued to the TVs to find out what was going to happen, you know, either way, like you saw, saw those shots of people watching that press conference. And, uh, you know, that's the level of, uh, you know, uh, intensity that Jordan had, you know, across the country and the interest that he had. And, um, you know, I love what Phil Jackson said that their communication, he says, well, you know, obviously I understand what you're doing, but you've got a gift that the people, you know, really need to be able to see. And then he goes right into the baseball. And so what was your take on his White Sox experience, uh, Francona being his manager um, and the whole, you know, his whole approach uh, to being, a, you know, hopefully maybe one day a major league baseball player? 
I just like how he was a, he was part of, part of the team, you know, they've done that uh, 30 for 30, you know, Jordan rides the bus and you can see, he just, he just enjoyed being at the ballpark with his teammates. You know, I I don't know what milestone he had during that season where they're, they're dumping water on him uh, when he enters the locker room. Uh, So number one, he he just loved being a teammate, being around the guys, being in the clubhouse. Uh, Number two, probably the hard work that he put in. This is the first time I think in depth that I've heard MJ talk about uh, Sports Illustrated and their unwillingness to say or interview him about it. And he basically said, hey, talk to me about it and it's fine. And to this day, he still hasn't talked to Sports Illustrated, which which is crazy how quick it can go, uh, you know, from beating the Suns to now all of a sudden we're, we're riding bag at Michael on, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And then I've I've I, Terry Francona said it tonight. And how crazy is it that, you know, one of the better managers of, of our lifetime, uh, you know, ended the end of the Red Sox curse and and, uh, you know, you go back and and you find out he had coached Michael, which, which we knew that. Uh, but I heard him interviewed this week on multiple, uh, Chicago, uh, radio stations. And he, he was adamant like he was tonight that had he stayed with it, he really believed he'd be a big leaguer. Well, leading up to, you know, when he made the decision to, to ultimately play baseball, he left that door open, you know, even as press conference, which I didn't realize, yeah. you know, I was he like, looked so calm during that retirement. I mean, you know, there, there was no nerves. He was smiling completely at peace. And yes, he, not to cut you off, but yeah, he absolutely left open. Hey, I'm, I'm probably coming back at well, some point. Which I thought was, you know, the way it was covered, it was like, he's done forever, but he clearly says there, you know, Hey, I'm, uh, you know, who knows what'll happen. It reminded me of a WWE where they have a guy do like a fake retirement. And then, you know, the undertaker pops up at, at you know, <laughs> at WrestleMania. Um, the thing that, that was interesting to me about the baseball. And, uh, I love that, you know, you got to hear about his work ethic and how much that he really dedicated and Frank Kona talking about, like you said, you know, he actually, if he'd stuck with it could have been, uh, you know, a decent, decent player. Um, but the psychology of the pursuit of baseball, um, you know, after losing his dad, you know, I don't know if that was his way of like, you know, something they had been connected about and it was his way of grieving. But the other part about that, to do that under the, that microscope, I mean, this was not like this was going from baseball or, you know, basketball and retiring and going away from the game. He goes to baseball. This is a risky play. This is a guy that's the most you know popular person, probably in the entire world. And he's going to go put himself out there and put his vulnerabilities of failing out there under that microscope, being in sellout crowds and, you know, baseball, being able to hit a baseball and such a different game than basketball to do that under those circumstances with, you know, sellout crowds every night, uh, you know, I can't imagine. And so, you know, when they say hit 202 and 50 runs batted in to me, that's, that's incredibly impressive. Not half bad. Yeah. Not half bad. And, 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 you know, they had said, Hey, he's playing double a because we need the capacity to, to hold the media. That's going to be required to make this move. And he, he starts on that 13 game hitting streak, which I didn't remember or realize. And then I do remember that slump and that's when SI comes in, you know, people had kind of got the, the scouting report on him after the first few weeks of the season, curveball, curveball, curveball. And he just, he couldn't hit it, but, but ultimately, yeah, they had 202, 50 ribbies, p- pretty impressive. You know, you mentioned the camaraderie aspect of it. Um, you know, I, I thought that was something that, you know, for all these years, Jordan's the lead dog. Uh, and you see how he is in these, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. Oh, the practices. See, as he called himself the lead dog. That's exactly <laughs> right. But then now he gets to be one of the guys again. He gets to be one of those, you know, being led, just, you know, being a, a, an everyday, you know, he was a Steve Kerr. I mean, essentially on the, you know, the, uh, right. you know, the for the Birmingham Barons. And I didn't remember this, and I don't know if you did. I didn't realize that the strike, the baseball strike, is really what probably, you know, does he come back to basketball as soon as he does if there is no baseball strike? Maybe not. I mean, especially with the the success that he had started to have, you know, maybe towards the end of that season, uh, maybe not. And what's what's also odd is, you know, the the basketball strike 
uh, is it's that's not the main reason. We we know that Phil Jackson's the main reason. But after they win that sixth title, you know, basketball doesn't start again until January or February. And I think the Spurs ended up winning it there in '99. Uh, what, what does a full season look like? You know, pr- probably no, no change because he was so. Uh, you know, adamant on the, on the Phil Jackson stuff, but interesting that strikes played a role in, in multiple sport changes and retirements. Well, before we get to his comeback, uh, you know, the, the series jumps around, you know, a decent amount. And uh, then we get in a glimpse into what we've all been just, you know, salivating for was those, that footage behind the scenes. And uh, I love that, you know, ESPN played, uh, you know, the way he tried to motivate those guys and, you know, we've heard about it, but to see it live and to see it, uh, you know, on, on ESPN, what was your impression? And then being in locker rooms and, and, and coaching, um, you know, that I felt like that pulled the, pulled the curtain back a little bit. What were your thoughts and what you saw? Yeah. I thought it was one of the better, you know, kind of four to five minute uh, segments of the night and, and potentially the, the series as well. Uh, you know, they, they kind of highlighted Scott, Scott Burrell a little bit, but you know, he, he, he had got it, you know, they, they interviewed uh, Tony Kukoc and he's on Luke Longley. There's the Kerr part in that, in the second episode tonight. Um so, so he clearly was a guy that, you know, like he said, was, was trying to get guys ready. And, you know, I, I don't know how your teams have been. And, and I'm not saying that th- this is something that we encourage, but we certainly uh, don't try to stop it uh, when, when those type of things happen in practice. Uh, and, and honestly, we probably wish it would happen a little bit more in, in this, in this kind of modern era uh, of, of teammates, you know, there are a lot of ways to be a good teammate, but holding each other accountable on a daily basis, uh, and getting to play to your level and calling them out when they're not, uh, is, is something that, that, you know, it isn't as prevalent today. And we play a lot of one-on-one and two-on-two. And I think sometimes in those drills, it gets heated up, but, but not, not nearly as much in five-on-five during practice. Well, I, I think it goes back to something that, you know, and MJ said it like, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. And, and it goes back to your best player. Uh, if they play the hardest uh, and, and, you know, they bring it just like his work ethic and all the things, you know, it would be tough to argue with that. And, and I think back in different times in my coaching career, I remember at one of my stops on the men's side, uh, you know, fights breaking out in practice and, you know, you've got some guy that's the seventh man and, and, and maybe your fourth leading score. And, uh, you know, and one of the guys is a guy that misses class all the time. Uh, and, you know, not touching lines and sprints, you know, that that's not positive for the team. That's not helping anything. You know what I mean? That's just, right. uh, you know, things coming to a head and boiling over a difference between that competitiveness with the story of Steve Kerr that, you know, we get into later. And, you know, I thought his point was an interesting one because he'd been there, he'd, he'd been to the mountaintop, but the Scotty Burrell stuff that, you know, and you see in that, I think it was in that net series where he had 23 points and uh, you know, MJ, it looked like off the court also, uh, you know, was able to be an enjoyable guy to be around, but when it was between the lines, it was go time. Yeah. And I, I really liked his point on, and, and you see this a lot with successful organizations. Um, you, you know, the, the old, the, uh, you know, when you're drinking the water, don't forget who dug the well. And and you, you saw that a little bit. He pointed out, he called Luke Longley and Steve Kerr out and he's, you know, not, not anything against them, but Hey, now they're in this, superstar organization, uh, you know, arguably the, the, whatever you want to call it, the new England Patriots of, of that time, uh, one of the best dynasties ever, if not the best dynasty. And now they're, you know, on the pedestal that they, they didn't climb up the mountain. You know, he kind of describes, Hey, it was, it was crap when I got here, mm-hmm. you know, we built it up and now you guys are reaping the benefit of it and you're wearing the Jersey, but did you really put in the hard work to do so? And, Boy, I really like the, the the hard work after that magic series that he kind of uh, went went back to work to get all those guys together and and make that second three peat. Yeah, and and we'll definitely we'll get back to to that aspect of it. Um, 
want to backtrack a little bit to the year he's out of you know basketball and Scotty finishes third in the MVP voting. They're playing the Knicks in the second round and it gets to that coup coach, um, you know, moment. And we all remember, you know, remember that. I mean, that, you know, yeah. one of the things that, uh, you know, in coaching to me, that's the ultimate is you just, you know, as a player, as a coach, like there's no quitting, you know what I mean? You just don't quit. You don't quit on your teammates uh, and yeah. that bond. And you could see, um, you know, from that moment, uh, after the game, when, when Kukoc makes the shot, there's a quick um, panning to uh, Phil Jackson. And it's not a sense of joy. Uh, it's yeah. a sense of, you know, we won the game, but there may be damage here that's going to be we tough, got a bigger to, issue. You know, yeah. tough to prepare. What, what do you remember about that moment um, from your perspective? Yeah, I just thought it was crazy because, you know, Scotty Pippen, facilitator, uh, you know, always happy to, to take a backseat and they hit on it a little bit tonight, the backseat to Michael, but, um, you know, once, once he became, you know, the man, Michael's playing baseball and they said, you know, he still kind of was a pass first, let the game come to him guy. I mean, some of those passing clips look like the, the recent day, uh, golden state warriors, uh, there with that, that 90, 93, 94 bulls team. So it's a little bit odd that, that, you know, it, it got to that point where, you know, basically Scotty is so fed up that he can't, he can't get off the bench to go inbound the ball. Um, even though it seemed like during the year, yes, I'm the man now, but I'm still kind of a facilitating scorer uh, of the basketball. Well, the other part they highlighted was the number of game winners uh, that Kukoc, you know, had that year. And uh, right. I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, you know, Jordan left and, um, you know, when Jordan left, kind of, kind of the argument for people sometimes that, that Jordan wasn't maybe as great as he is this generation's thought process is that, well, Jordan leaves and they still finish, you know, with a really good record and uh, take the Knicks to game seven. Well, let's, let's back up and look at this a little bit. Uh, one, you know, coach was a rookie, but essentially he was a veteran. You know, he was a guy that played a lot of years, you know, in Europe, you saw all the game winners he hit that season. Yeah. The other part about it is, and, and, you know, to me, there's like a winning culture that can sustain for a little bit. And you look at Bill Belichick, the year that Brady goes out with an injury. I think it was Matt. Is it Matt Shaw? Matt, Ca- Matt, Matt Castle. Castle. Matt Castle. Yeah, Matt Castle. And they still go 11 and five. You know, the rest of the league still has the fear factor. That organization still has a winning mentality. They know how to win close games. And I kind of think it was the same thing for that, you know, that Bulls team that, you know, the triangle offense, I think, shined. Um, and they still had Horace Grant. Still had Horace Grant. And and so obviously I think it shows how important Scotty was. But I do think uh, in the short term, it showed what a winning culture, winning organization, you know, can still sustain, even though MJ left. I don't think it's as much a knock on an MJ as it is, you know, as a credit to maybe Phil Jackson and the system that they had, uh, you know, put together. Yeah, winning was in those guys, at least enough of them. You know, I like the clip of Bill Cartwright sitting there talking to Scotty and and you know, they they talked about the locker room scene where Cartwright continued and and called called Scotty out and you know, he's in tears and Scotty you know, instantly knew that that he had screwed up, you know, or at least once they got in the locker room. Uh so so they had enough pieces. Obviously, they have a Hall of Fame coach you know, one of the best NBA coaches of all time. So I, I think you're right on with, with that point where the culture and, and the tradition can, can kind of take over. And there, there's still a, a little bit of a fear factor. You go into the, uh, the, uh, I think it was still Chicago state. And that might've been one of the first years United center, but you know, they're going in and the, the banners are still hanging up there and, and people recognize that. Well, the other part about it is I think as human beings, you know, in that Scotty moment, um, Unfortunately, I think we all have that moment, you know, that moment that he, I mean, I'm not saying quitting, but I'm saying we all have a moment where we just, we're out of character. You heard Steve Kerr talk about it, it was out of character. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate part is sometimes this out of character moment may be something, you know, that's doesn't have 
20,000 people in an arena and millions of people around in the world where you're, you know, the best player. The other part about it is I thought for Scotty, you know, for years, uh, he had been the guy that had, you know, MJ's taking the final shot and, you know, now here's my chance and, and, you know, wanting that responsibility and uh, obviously acting the way he did was, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a blemish, you know, was on a blemish on his career, but I, I love the way that, you know, Bill Cartwright, uh, talking emotionally. And I think for people that really, you maybe aren't athletes or, or haven't been in team sports, I thought that said a lot and you've been in some locker rooms that, you know, the bond of the team and the process and the journey, uh, you know, creates that attachment, uh, and that level of hurt, uh, you know, when that happened. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Cartwright is a guy that, you know, that, that had to have been probably his sixth year with the bulls or so. So he, he'd been through all the wars with these guys. So he, he had enough of a voice. He'd been around these guys and, and sometimes you need the guy, uh, you know, like a Bill Cartwright, who's, you know, probably the the fifth starter, really, you know, he's playing the center position. He is a starter, uh, but he's kind of an afterthought in, in that first three Pete. Uh, but, but he's been in all these battles with these guys and for him to say, Hey, now hang on a second here. Let, let's think about this and think about what we're doing and, and how we're, we're affecting each other with, with these decisions. What do you remember about the uh, MJ you know, finally coming out of retirement, you know, from back, from back in your time, you know, maybe not necessarily the documentary. Yeah, I just remember not, not being able to sit still. That was a Sunday afternoon, that Pacers game. Uh, I've actually never been to market square. Uh, I'm sure you've been multiple times. Uh, you know, I've, I've obviously seen the footage of it looked electric, but I remember not being able to sit still, uh, in church that, that morning. And I remember going to brunch after and just being like, I just want to get to the TV and, and watch Michael and, and kind of assuming that, Hey, this is going to go well, because that's the, the only Michael Jordan that I knew. And, you know, it was Rocky that first game, you know, he, whatever, he goes eight for 28 or something along those lines really struggles, but then gets back going. And as a Bulls fan, you're just thinking, okay, here, here we go. And everybody's talked about the, the 55 game at, at the garden and, and the, the Hawks game winner, the game before that, um, and, and and just kind of thinking you're invincible as, as a Bulls fan, uh, thinking, hey, this is going to be no problem. They're they're gonna they're gonna win their championship, and, and obviously that didn't happen. I remember the the when when you know the word I'm back, which by the way, yeah. just an absolute ultimate flex. I mean, yeah, I never heard that story from David Falk. That that was pretty cool. I yeah, thought tonight the, how they kind of went to get to that point that he just wrote it himself. But you know, I yeah. th- think throughout the documentary of how many you know, just flexes Jordan makes like that, you know, very, uh, you know, the, well, we come eventually to the 45 to 23 and all that stuff. But, um, you know, for him to say, I'm back, I remember Indianapolis was, I mean, electric, uh, mm. you know, and Reggie, um, you'll see as, as we get into this last, you know, episodes, nine. Yeah. He, he got loose with some comments late in the show. Oh yeah. Yeah. He wanted to retire MJ and you know, that, that's why we love Reggie here in Indianapolis. And, uh, but just the excitement and the press and the, uh, and then I remember he was awful to start the game. I mean, couldn't buy a bucket and, uh, yeah. uh you know, late that game actually went to overtime when they lost. Um, but I remember the kind of slow breathe, uh, that took place of like, he's starting to show up at the facility and then he's practicing, you know, and then the I'm back. And then, you know, I think when, when he had the, the, everybody remembers the double nickel game. I remember watching that game. That was awesome. I mean, he just, he had it going right from the get go. And, you know, he was really the first, at least of the area that we know, because obviously the Knicks are terrible now, but you know, the, where the Knicks were still good and just awesome. coming in and, you know, dropping 55 on Starks. Yeah. And, and then makes the pass to, to win it. You know, they, they kind of step up, uh, help up and, and make the double. And he kind of d- does the little uh, drop down pass pr- from the elbow to the opposite block. Uh, j- just c- cool to relive those memories. But I think that that everybody talks about the I'm back stuff, but a lot of people, I, I just feel like have, you know, kind of forget about that season where, 
you know, they lose to the magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had that turnover, uh, up one. I, I thought they were tied at the time. Uh, but I, I, I had forgot that they had the lead and, and Nick Anderson makes the steal and horse on the other team. And you got a, a young shack and, and penny. And that's, that's a serious group right there, uh, with the Orlando magic. Well, when you get to that game, you know, he goes to the first game, that, that clip reminds me of a guy that, you know, uh, again, ordinary us, I haven't played basketball in quite a while. I go out and play. Maybe I look good for a little bit. And then I can't, you know, I can't quite handle the ball. I can't quite dribble the ball the way I'm, you know, yeah, he's kind of fumbling it up the yeah, court. There. I mean, never see Jordan look that awkward, you know, dribbling the basketball. I think the thing that did surprise me is him passing up the game winner uh, for a shot right there at the free throw line, which, you know, we've seen him make time and uh, time again, but then the comment about, well, you know, 45 and 23. So he shows up in 23 again, another massive flex and comes out, you know, they win game two. And, uh, right. And then, and then, like I just described once, you know, they, they lose to the Pacers, but then they, they beat the Hawks, beat the Knicks, he has 55. They win game two. It's like, oh, this thing's over. But but it wasn't, you know, and, and that motivated them. Well, then they lose to obviously the Magic. I think it was in game what, game six, uh, you know, in, in, in Chicago and Horace yeah. is celebrating and hoist uh, him up like Rudy. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, and you could see the look on Jordan's face, but, um, you know, again, the way he used motivation uh, immediately, starting with uh, the next day, you know, Tim Grover going to work out. But here's I'll see I, you tomorrow. Yeah, I, I forgot about this. I had no idea that that year, the year he comes back is the year that he's filming Space Jam and then they go on to win 72. I mean, this isn't after like a cush year, like, hey, I'm going to go, you know, this is probably the most important year of his, his basketball career at this point. And he goes and films space jam and they build the bubble. I'd never seen the bubble. Uh, you know, you see the bubble, but what'd you think of those Epic games and uh, the schedule they described of his daily routine? Yeah. The, the daily routine w- was no joke. I mean, I basically had that a 6am wake up uh, getting back to the hotel at, you know, roughly, you know, 11 o'clock at night and doing it all over again, uh, you know, with what they said. There, there was a documentary, Michael Jordan Above and Beyond, that kind of highlighted that 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 comeback tour. Uh, you could argue that those, you know, th- those pickup games were along the same lines as the scrimmages with the USA team. You know, it's different because it's pickup. Um but it, it's it sounded like, you know, new NBA players showing up every night. And, and this is boy, this is probably at the start of cell phones. So so, you know, their word is probably traveling and it's uh, I got to get out to L.A. to to go play with Michael. And uh, it, it looked awesome. It just shows the the you know, just another motivator for him. Uh, that had to been his most focused off season probably since, you know, the, the Detroit stuff, uh, you know, getting knocked out and, and it was, it's fun to watch. And he hit the reset button and boy, did they, they come out clicking uh, for that 72 win season. Well, you're hearing that today's NBA, these guys go out to, you know, New York, but most of the time it's out to L.A. or, or you know, Miami. And you see these summer league games or where they get together. To me, this was kind of I know they used to play at UCLA a little bit, but this was kind of the first where if you were an NBA star, you wanted to be there. You wanted to feel like, hey, I got to be part of Michael Jordan's games. Reggie's there. You know, you see all the guys coming through. But, you know, like yeah. you said, I, I was blown away by the schedule. You know, seven to seven, he plays ball for three hours. Then he goes and lifts and then he does it again. And and I heard somebody say, you know, I can't remember what I was listening to. But bottom line is like MJ was just built differently. You know, he's smoking cigars before the games. His, Nocturnal. Uh, yeah. The other thing that and we, we didn't cover this a little bit. I hadn't seen it broken down this way, but the uh, the baseball body training versus the basketball body training. And, you know, in that playoffs where uh, he broke down, you know, the physical part of it, you know, being younger at the time, you're just you know, you're watching the game. Ah, they weren't able to do it. You know, he's a little rusty. 
And now looking back, you see that what he was talking about, how he transformed his body differently for the baseball aspect versus the basketball aspect. And I thought that was uh, you know, interesting to be able to see. What was your uh, what were your thoughts going into that year? They get the 72 wins. We talked about it briefly, but here MJ now has this knowledge of what it's like to win the championship did it three times. Uh, and, and so he's been there, done that. He, he learned how to, you know, go from being a guy that averaged 37 to be a guy that averaged 31 and everybody moves the ball. He knows what it takes, but now, and you mentioned, you know, Luke Longley, Judd, B- you know, Bushler, Steve Kerr. Uh, I think what was his quote to Bill Winnington, Billy jump on my Cape and hold on, you know, right. uh, what a, what a, what a great quote, but that training camp from hell, uh, you know, what, what, what do you think his thought process was with all these new pieces, you know, and a fresh start, you know, after space jam and here we go, uh, at trying to win another championship. Yeah. That, that training camp might've been more of a, intense but him building guys up maybe more so than than he has done uh you know in maybe a second or third year uh of of a three-peat because he's trying to reestablish himself with his new teammates you know so that you know i don't know how much of the of the dog cussing there was at that point uh you know, they had just added Dennis Rodman, which was, you know, kind of a new exciting is, is this going to work out? Um, but it seemed more of a, Hey, Hey, follow me fellas, still that same mentality, but, but instead of kind of tearing guys down to, to build them back up more of a, Hey, I'm just gonna, I'm going to establish myself as the leader. You guys follow me and, uh, I'm going to build you up in the process. Well, I think as Ahmad Rashad said that, you know, this, this was a no prisoners though. I mean, he, he was back to win championships. Right. That's, that's right. it. And, uh, you, right. you were going to be on his level. Uh, and, and, you know, again, not to, to back up, but the most powerful moment of the episode, which, you know, I think everybody's probably going to be talking about tomorrow and the next day is, you know, him getting emotional talking about his mentality and, you know, he, he, he didn't get emotional talking about, you know, his father's passing. And obviously I'm sure he's, he's been incredibly emotional about that, but in this episode or in this documentary, he, you know, really gets choked up when it comes to talking about his mentality and his drive and, you know, what that, what that meant. You could really sense in that moment that like, you know, the sacrifice, I mean, what was his quote that he, he said, winning has a price leadership, leadership has a price. Has a price. Yeah. That, that was, that was really good. Um, you know, I, he clearly is leading from the front. We, we talked about that earlier. He, he's not going to make you do something that he's not willing to do. And, and, and I thought it was, he's almost like, uh, you know, a good cop, bad cop with Phil Jackson, you know, as a, not a player coach, but you know, everybody knows that, that there are uh, certain situations where assistant coaches may assume the role of a bad cop to kind of keep things, uh, you know, d- uh, up and tidy. And Michael was kind of that role for Phil where they would kind of, you know, Phil Phil's the one that kind of would scale him back. And, and he's, he's the one that would, would rev up the teammates. I, you know, he's talking about Scott Burrell and, and, you know, he's coming from UConn, which by the way, I, I really like that, uh, part in the locker room. I hear UConn's got a great, great, they got a great women's program. Uh, I'm sure you like that as well. But uh, the the part about Scott Burrell lacking uh, commitment, lacking seriousness, ultra talented, um, but just, you know, unable to, to snap that finger between the lines. And I think that's kind of Michael's deal, right? Is he, he's, he's a jokester in the locker room. You know, he's a, you, you mentioned the scene where he's, he's hitting the baseball bat with the cigar. I mean, he's in practice gear with a cigar in his mouth in the locker room. This isn't, this isn't after a championship. He's, he's got a cigar mid playoffs. Uh, so he seems like a cool cat, but once you get out there, uh, it's going to be on my terms. It was interesting in a couple different points in the episode where Phil uh, talked about 
you know, after the Steve Kerr thing about making an amends and, um, you know, just that he sometimes had to, you know, rein him in. And, you know, we've all been there as players or coaches, but that went the, the, what led to the fight with Kerr was, you know, they started calling ticky tack fouls. Yeah. And, uh, you know, MJ can play it off that he, you know, at the end of the day, he was preparing Steve Kerr, but we've all seen that. I mean, he was yeah. you know, probably ticked and, uh, you know, let it get the best of him. But I laughed that it was, you know, he beat up the smallest guy in the locker room. And, uh, but I do think there's something to be said for what Steve Kerr said is, you know, being able to stand up for yourself, uh, and, and, you know, being able to stand up for himself in that moment, uh, you know, obviously, Garner Jordan's respect. And, and again, you see this down the road where, you know, his trust factor with Steve Kerr. I mean, he had that with John Paxson. Yeah. And, and Kerr hits the game winner, uh, you know, the, the first series against Utah, which we'll, we'll see that. That's a surefire uh, clip for episode nine. Absolutely. Well, then again, the MJ slights, uh, not only do they get the uh, magic in the Eastern Conference finals, they sweep them 4-0. I mean, it's not even close, like not even close. And, you know, one thing I wanted to back up on, I thought was interesting. And I I commented a little bit earlier, you know, the bulls had such a great record that first year Jordan was out. All right. And that we talked about the winning mentality kind of carried them forward. But then that next year they were 34 and 31 and it wasn't really, it was kind of a mess. And, uh, and and so again, I go back to, you know, MJ comes back and uh, dominates the series and again, gets the last laugh. They play Seattle, uh, which, you know, for this generation, I mean, Gary Payton was an incredible player. Uh, You know, Sean Kemp was just, you know, a rim rocking son of a gun and you had Detlef shrimp. I mean, they had a deep roster. George Carl had them playing fast. Uh, um, but I didn't realize that, you know, it was a quick, three uh, Oh, and, yeah. uh, and the bulls take the foot off the gas. What did you think? I, I personally, uh, my, my couple of my favorite moments from the episodes have been Jordan's like snarling reaction to Isaiah. And oh, his, that laugh. Tonight and his, was great. La- his maniacal laugh at Gary <laughs> Payton of just Nothing better than that. One of the best reactions of the episode. What'd you think? Yeah, I I had no problem with the glove. You know, I, I, I'd be curious to go back and, and watch the series and, and, and kind of track the possessions on, you know, how often in the, in the first three games, you know, did they, did they get matched up either from a transitions uh, situation or a, you know, a switch ball screen or whatever, where, um, you know, George Carl could have seen, hey, maybe this is something that that we go to. You know, that that's easy for Gary Payton to say right now because they they win game four and five. Um, you know, how much was he on them? Would it have made a difference? As MJ said, I, I had no problem with the glove. Well, if it took George Carl till game four, then uh, you know you got to ask yourself. But I, I don't imagine that's the case. In fact, one of the first clips in the first game, I mean, I know he got matched up some because uh, you know he dotted Gary Payton with a little turnaround right. baseline. So that's right. Uh, yeah. But his laugh, you know, it just uh, I thought really cracked me up to see his reaction. That's my favorite is when they play something and they show, you know, and get his genuine reaction. But then they, you know, they have no trouble with the Sonics in game six. You know, he wins the, um, you know, they win their first championship 72 win season, but the father's day. uh, And I talked about that, how the beginning of the episode, he loses his father. And now it's his first championship without his dad. Uh, You see the, the scene, you know, we've seen it before, but a lot of times we've seen it with the music, uh, but yeah, the breathing and the the panting, you you could really hear and, and that emotion. And, you know, again, like I said, I think about my dad and, and, you know, our closeness and, you know, at some point someday that, that, you know, when I lose him, that's going to be hard because, you know, the, the game of basketball is such a bond, uh, you know, for us. And, uh, and then it leads to, uh, which I can't wait for, cause I was a big Pacer fan, uh, but the Pacers and the Bulls and, uh, the only time, you know, I, I think, I think they said, I think the Bulls said that like it was the most vulnerable they felt, uh, it wasn't even to the you know jazz. It was to the Pacers. And, you know, that's what we get to, you know, look forward to next week. Yeah. One of two, one of two, I believe game sevens that the Bulls faced in their entire six year run. That's any series, you know, the Knicks took them to, the Knicks took them to seven in that second champion series, uh, 
championship series in 92. And then the Pacers had the lead and they going into the fourth quarter uh, of game seven uh, here coming up. So it's, it's going to be great to watch now, now remind the listeners for us here, coach that series tips off and you are wearing uh, what color underwear for, for that series. You know, it's a while. I was probably pulling for the Pacers. Uh, you know, I, yeah. lo- I loved MJ, uh, you know, love the bulls, but you know, you have to understand being in Indiana, uh, you know, this was the, this was the chance for the Pacers to, you know, finally get over the top and, uh, right. you know, Reggie was outstanding, but you know, back then, the push off. yeah, well, Reggie, Reggie was outstanding, but you know, back then the Colts had always been very average, uh, until Peyton showed up. Um, and so, you know, Reggie was a guy that was outstanding. Uh, and now this was a chance and we added Jalen Rose and we had Larry Bird as our coach. Uh, Mark Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we felt like the, the Pacers, I mean, really had a, uh, you know, a shot to, to do it. And we'd seen, you know, we'd seen Reg, some of Reggie's, um, you know, uh, clutch, clutch plays, you know, against the Knicks and, you know, what have you. So uh, it was an, it was an interesting series, but at the same time, um, you know, the rumors were out there that this was Jordan's last year. And so similarly speaking, you know, it'd be like rooting against tiger. I wouldn't want to root against tiger and, you know, you don't want to ever see tiger run off the, into the sunset. So, um, you know, that was tough. Did you know that, did you have a sense at that point that it was, uh, you know, Jordan's last year and was likely to, you know, he was going to retire and be done. Yeah. I think even being in high school, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, I was a sports center watcher and and things like that. And it it was pretty covered with, with the Jerry Krause stuff. So I think there was probably some, you know, loose optimism that, Hey, maybe they'll figure it out. You know, how could they not? They've, they've won six of eight, they've won three in a row. Uh, but I think we were all under the impression that, uh, you know, you, you better be, you better be watching because this may never happen again. One of the other things from the episode I really enjoyed was, uh, what he talked about in regards to trash talk and uh you know some some i've been around some really good trash talkers and you know there's been some others that you just don't have it but the one thing that i appreciated what he said was you know when the score is zero zero or you're behind and you talk trash okay but you know you're the guy that's up 10 you know up 12 and now you want to yeah you know you want to talk and uh you know obviously jordan bird those guys it didn't matter. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a million Jordan stories of the, the different things uh, going into another guy's locker room before the game to let him know, like, hey, you know, I'm going to drop whatever it was. I'm going to drop 40 on you tonight. Yeah, I, I love and, and you texted this. Some of the the things that were said to, to, to Scott Burrell, I mean, just burying the guy, uh, th- things that, that you probably don't want said on, on Park's pot. But I mean, just you know, the way he put, put stuff together. Uh, and, and, and like you said, that, that carried over to the game. And I think he was referencing that was right after that BJ Armstrong shot, you know, BJ hits the shot up, up five and, and he's, he's talking smack, you know, let, let's see you do it when you're down two and, and have the same confidence to do it. I do think people that aren't from the sports world or that universe, like hear that and are probably just, you know, how, can, yeah. and, and, you know, I mean, I think back to my days playing in the big 10, uh, you know, the things that were, were, said or said to me, um, you know, as guys, you just roll, roll off. You weren't even thinking about it. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, and, uh, like, obviously there were, you know, some guys talked more than others, but, um, you know, the competitive, you know, parts of that. And, uh, you know, the other part too is, I mean, you could see MJ, you know, joking a lot, you know, with it, a lot of it was in jest. A lot of it was, you know, fun. Right. it wasn't just, right. uh, you know, taking a guy uh, and dismantling him, you know, in that regard. Yeah. And I'll, I'll ask our players, I get a kick sometimes, you know, especially when you're, when you're in a league, in the league play and you've gone against guys for two or three years, four years in some cases. And, you know, you really get, 
get to know them and their game and their their antics and things like that. So I like kind of asking our players the next day or, or even, you know, on the bench, like, are they talking out there and, and getting our players feedback on, you know, somebody that you would not expect as a trash talker that they'll say is just, you know, ruthless. Like even being on the sidelines, you cannot always hear it when stuff's going on on the free throw line or as guys are going back to the other end after making a shot. So I always get a kick out of uh, kind of the unexpected trash talkers. And boy, I, I didn't know he had it like that. Well, two stories, uh, one in college, Illinois, uh, I'm guarding Darren Williams and, you know, whatever I, great player, you know, great yeah. player. But if I talked in high school, I, I was, you know, I, I was so tired. There's no way I was going to be able to say anything anyways. I mean, you know, I'm out there right. doing everything I can to stay on the floor. I'll never forget. I was guarding him and I hand checked him. I hit him in the stomach. And, you know, I'm thinking like this guy should be like a rock solid player. You know, yeah. he was kind of a little doughier back then. Yeah, yeah. A, little, a little doughy and, uh, but didn't matter. He talked nonstop the entire game and, and obviously backed it up. But I'll tell you the wildest was uh, we played out in Vegas and we played Cincinnati and this was Bob Huggins, Cincinnati. And uh, sure. Oh man, those guys were wild. I mean, you know, I'm not, we're not, not talking one or two guys. I yeah. mean, we're talking five to, you know, five to seven to eight, you know, the guys on the team when they're on the floor, I mean, talking crazy. And again, not a 10 to thousand or 20,000 seat arena. You know, we were playing a smaller venue. So right, uh, it, was, yeah. it was like open gym style uh, and, and something I'll never forget. And, and even our guys were like, whoa, that's, uh, you know, we did. We did not at, we, at times encouraged from the from the coaching staff, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So there were some characters on that squad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some stories, I'm sure. But uh, well, it's, it's been another good week. I think this was uh, my favorite week, you know, by far. I love seeing the footage behind the scenes and uh I love how real it is with MJ. I just love that we're getting to see that, the no holds bar aspect. But the other part is I, I don't think it's just that. I mean, you still see the, 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 the really kind moments behind the scenes and, yeah. and, you know, still being a good teammate behind the scenes. And, you know, a lot of the guys that, you know, had negative things were guys that, you know, got shipped out of town sometimes. And, you know, BJ Armstrong, you know, they were on Horace quite a bit. Uh, but the guys that were with him, the guys that, I mean, you know, Steve Kerr, who's a winner, right. Who is yeah. a winner has nothing but great things to say about MJ. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. And, and Kerr has, has, has said as, as, as much as, Hey, if, if I was not on those teams, you know, I'm, I'm not the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. Let's just call it what it is. And uh, I, I really like the the scenes kind of in the training room after wins. Like he, even even with Scotty Burrell, he, he he's fine with them off the floor. You know, it, it is a joking deal. And he, there's been some clips with Ron Harper and obviously Scotty Pippen. And uh, I, I agree with you that the best part of the whole thing and, and we've hit on this. We, we've all seen, you know, a lot of this stuff before. But what we have not seen is the vulnerability of, of, of Michael Jordan. And it's, it's awesome to have him, you know, sit down, get emotional, get close to tears, have the belly laugh on Gary Payton. I mean, you're just seeing all sides and it's, it's been, uh, it's been great TV. The only thing that's bothered me about the series, and there is one part of it that I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't like, and if you were turning to the sports center a little bit ago, you know, Michael Wilbon talked about it. I think Scotty Pippen's getting a bad rap. Uh, you know, you've heard the contract talks, the migraine game, you know, now that they've shined the light on him and, and we all knew the game where he, you know, he quit on his teammates, but uh, you know, Scotty Pippen was a guy that always guarded the best player uh, was a, the point forwards before there are point forwards in the league now. And, you know, it's the only part about it is, and, and he's a guy that's always, you know, I think seems like a pretty stand-up guy, stand-up teammate. You know, it sounds like the guy's really the year Jordan was out. You know, appreciate his leadership. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, this episodes they could do a better job of you know shining a positive light on on him because I mean he is one of the fifty greatest players of all time. Yeah, there's been some ups and downs for him uh, for, for sure. I mean, each episode kind of has a high for him, and then. Uh, you know, for every high, there's a, there's a low story as well. And, you know, he, he's, you know, he's the guy that was there for all, all six of them. And, uh, you know, I, I guess it just kind of comes with the territory. And, and if I remember right, he, he was pretty banged up as these playoffs go on and, and didn't, 
I mean, he played, but but his role was limited some in that Jazz series. I can't remember as much with the Pacers series, but for sure against the Jazz. Well, next week, uh, you know, bittersweet because uh, episodes nine and ten, uh, the culmination of this docu series, and uh, you know, I was actually thinking of it, you know, kind of sad because uh, it's been so great to have, you know, Jordan and the Bulls back in our life and something to talk about during, you know, this uh, this time. But uh, next week will be a, an awesome, you know, awesome finale, and I'm enjoying doing this with you. And uh, look forward to our chat next week. So we'll uh, we'll see you then. Appreciate it. Sounds good, Coach, and happy Mother's Day to Whitney Parkinson and Mama Park. Well, same to Peach and crew, everybody. Thanks, and have a great week. All right, see you, man.